Welcome to this special episode of the Farmers Weekly Podcast, brought to you in association with Plant Breeders Limograin UK. Rising input costs and climate change mean more robust wheat varieties are increasingly sought after. Better genetics mean better performance, agronomically as well as financially, both in the field and in the marketplace. Farmers Weekly arable correspondent Louise Impey went to Suffolk on the search for the perfect package when it comes to winter wheat. My name is David Pettit. I farm in a place called Rickinghall in the north of Suffolk. It's predominantly heavy clay and clay loam soils. We're cropping about 400 hectares, mix of uh, wheat, spring barley and uh, sugar beet and a little bit of linseed. We've not grown all seed rate for two years, but um, are going back into it this autumn, for better or worse. We'll find out when we get there. So, David, what are you looking for in a wheat variety? What are the important characteristics for you? Well, that's changed over the years. Not so long ago, it was, it, for me, all about yield. Um, so you look at the uh, recommended list for yield and, um, you know, septoria resistance, because that was the most important. But now um, I think things have changed so much that we're looking for more specifics. So we want a good all-round um, disease package. Um, we're looking much more for higher untreated yields, whereas before that didn't really concern me too much because we could control the diseases pretty easily. And um, obviously yield's still important, but we're trying to manage costs more, so um, we're looking at uh, everything across the range. And as you've put more focus on disease resistance, have you been able to reduce the number of sprays that you're using, or has it just meant that you could sleep better at night? Um, I suppose um, some of that would depend on on the season and uh, what kind of disease pressure there is but it just gives you more uh, opportunity to um, reduce rates a bit perhaps um, or perhaps uh, miss a spray out in your program if if it's been dry like like it has this spring Um, that's the sort of thing we're looking at so yes I suppose you know you are more relaxed about it because you've got that backup of a of a variety that can look after itself to some degree um, with a little bit of help from you rather than you know, not so long ago, having to throw a lot at it just to keep it to keep it green and keep it going. So I think you're growing Group One, Group Three, and Group Four varieties. What do you think's missing in the current lineup, if anything? I suppose um, uh, um, a Group One with a Group Four yield, really. I suppose would be would be nice to have, um, but it never seems to to uh, materialise. Um, I mean, I'm growing different ones from different groups to spread risk, really. Um, and also, um, you know, looking at various different end markets. So we're spreading risk by, by different markets and um, uh, different um, disease profiles and genetics in different groups. So what varieties are you growing? We've got um, Skyfall as a group one, um, which I grow as a second wheat. I don't chase the uh, protein content on it. Um, if, I, if I get the, the, um, the protein specification, then that's, that's a bonus. Um, but I just grow it as a, as a feed wheat. Um, and I'm growing... Um, uh, Gleam and Shabras as uh, Group 4 hards and we've got some uh, LG Astronomer in um, for the first time this year which I'm planning to be my uh, my new first wheat variety. Farming's going through an awful lot of change at the moment. Uh, alongside that we've got the climate changing, regulation changing. What will be important characteristics going forward? Ideally you, you want something that's going to have everything for you but that's, that's just um, you know that's just not going to happen. So um, like I've said we're looking for something which is very good um, or as good as it can be disease wise because we're looking to reduce costs. 
nitrogen use efficiency is becoming more and more important, particularly with, with um, you know, the world having changed in, in February when, when Russia invaded Ukraine. So I hope the breeders might be able to um, perhaps get um, nitrogen fixing or something like that into a wheat plant to help us on that score. But really, it's, it's, we want something that's, that's consistent, uh, a, good, a good package all round and um, good untreated yield. And I think uh, for me, um, that's why we've, we're trying LG Astronomy this year to, to grow on as our main first wheat variety. So what are the biggest challenges you face as a wheat grower? Well, since Russia invaded Ukraine in, in February this year, that the, the world has changed and, and there are massive challenges in all sorts of, um, of spheres of life. But if you relate that to, um, to a wheat grower and, and to varieties, perhaps, with so much changing and, and changing so quickly and in such large movements at a time, I'm, I'm looking for something that's, that's going to give me some consistency and reliability. So I'm looking for wheat varieties that, that will do that for me because everything else is changing so much. So with wheat at current prices, is that influencing, changing things that you might be doing this year? Funnily enough, it, it hasn't to a great degree um, because I think it's important, um, again for me with consistency, that the rotation stands up um, in, in the long term. Um, so to put more wheats in, in the ground, for example, this autumn, we'd perhaps be doing third wheats or something like that where um, we'd suffer from take-all and the yield would suffer, the costs are so high. So I don't think that's something that, um, that I will go into necessarily. Suffolk grower David Pettit. As a plant breeder, Limmergrain UK is working to deliver exactly what growers like David want, resilient wheat varieties with consistent performance. So I'm Rachel Goddard. I'm the cereal pathologist at Limmergrain. Pit is our winter wheat breeding site so here we have crossing of varieties we have lots of field trials we have growing varieties in growth rooms and we have lots of assessments for disease resistance and yield so for example we have um, much more durable septoria and um, yellow rust resistant varieties due to um, stacking of, of multiple genes together um, we're also kind of improving the resistance to insect pathogens such as um, orange blossom midge um, yellow blossom midge too so yeah we have we've got lots of developments um, which are really improving resistance. And how are plant breeders keeping ahead of these changing pathogen populations? We've had a few scares recently, we've had constant yellow rust scares, there was a bit of a septoria blip last year. How are you managing that? One of the, the main ways that we're managing this is, is really careful monitoring and surveillance of, of different uh, varieties and different resistance genes in the field. Um, so we can look at the effect of a single gene or multiple genes stacked together and we can monitor in different uh, trial locations, different years. Um, we can see which genes are still effective and which are losing efficacy. Um, so this kind of allows us to anticipate which uh, changes might occur in the future. And as the climate changes, are there other diseases that you're on the lookout for? Have you got material here that we won't necessarily know about yet but might be useful in the future? Yes, obviously with the, the changing climate, this could have um, a big effect on disease resistance. So we could see uh, diseases which have been um, present in regions where we haven't seen them before. We could potentially see uh, re-emerging diseases which are... Uh, much more uh, favoured by the increased uh, temperatures. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is something that we're, we're trying to take into account and we're trying to anticipate kind of the changes which might occur in the future um, by looking at uh, more diverse material um, and screening these for resistance.
And there is some criticism that we're working with really quite a narrow genetic base. Would you have any counteract to that? What would you say? As the the pathogen populations are are more and more diverse, we try and need to make sure that we have some diversity in our um, germplasm too. So to try and do this, we're screening um, more diverse materials. So for example, outside of the elite varieties which are currently grown um, in the UK and Europe. So we're looking at land races which are um, adapted to local environments we're also looking at um, wild wheat species so these haven't been domesticated so they're often very tall they're very low yielding but they do have um, a more diverse complement of resistance genes so we're screening these and then we can introduce them into our breeding programs if, if they seem that they will be effective. So looking at these plots you're obviously screening quite a lot of material can you give us some idea of the things that you're looking for here? Yes, so here we have um, a mixture of material from our own breeding program. So we're trying to assess the levels of resistance, which we already have in our program. And then we also have some more experimental material. So these are varieties which are from different countries in Europe. And we're trying to assess um, the resistance of these varieties in a UK environment to see if they might be of any use to UK growers. And so are we looking at other breeders' material here as well as yours? Or is this purely lemograin material? We have limograin material and then we also have more diverse material, so land races um, throughout Europe. So yeah, so slightly more um, diverse. Rachel Goddard. As farmers' priorities change, independent cereal specialist Claire Lehman from Niab says some inbuilt traits are going to have more to offer than others. Louise Impey caught up with Claire at this summer's cereals event at Duxford, Cambridgeshire. We've seen a real change in attitude, certainly over the last five years, where people are much more interested in disease resistance, um, untreated yields are suddenly you know, a talking point, which they never used to be. And we've got pressure on farmers to use less fungicides, pesticides. So the genetic resistance is, is what you've got. And if you put good resistance in the field, you, you're starting in a good place from day one. There's far greater emphasis being put on the disease resistance, the pest resistance. What have been the main developments in this area? I think the improvement in septoria um, resistance has been a massive step forward. You know, it wasn't that many years ago where all the varieties were sort of hovered around the five and we thought that was normal and now people won't grow anything less than a six and you know really looking at at sevens and possibly eights so it's a massive step forward that has you know has good implications on farm and then I think you know the pest pest resistance is is all useful it all adds more tools to the toolbox and other new things coming along that you know about that growers can look forward to well hopefully we'll get more of the same in that we'll get continuing improvements in in septoria and again people's expectations will continue to rise and the breeders will continue to rise to that challenge and you know again with yellow rust is always changing so we need this constant stream of um, varieties that can respond to the current you know the latest situation of yellow rust and on the pest front you know BYDV, orange blossom midge, pests you know always coming along and that's the genetics is the only armory we have now so we need more of that and we need it to keep coming and and what about gene editing will that have a role i think it has to have a role i think it's a really useful technology and um yeah we we need to use everything we've got like you say you know genetics has become more important and we need to make the most of what's available to us What happens when that resistance is overcome, either because a a pathogen changes or a pest population changes? 
well that's why we need the breeders to be continually on their game um, you know they do a very good job of in this country of supplying us with a, a really good constant supply of varieties and um, and that's what allows us to, to keep up with the diseases but you know you can't beat nature um, so you just have to respond to, to what nature gives you and yeah luckily the, the breeders generally they do. Claire Lehman. Back at Limmergrain, senior wheat breeder Phil Tarby explains to Louise Impey just some of the traits and in inbuilt genetics that he's working with. So we've come inside and uh, I've come across what looks like potato boxes. What on earth is going on here? These are our trial boxes. So we, we harvest thousands and thousands of individual plots, so potential new varieties. Um, and for the testing process, particularly in terms of uh, additional seed for future gener- future years where we can try in more locations and in more environments but also the quality testing to hit one of those group ones we were talking about earlier um, we need to, we need to keep the seed so our specialist combines will harvest a little plot it goes through the, the threshing mechanism and each each sack is kept um, and you can see we've got different stages uh, throughout our breeding program so we've got thousands and thousands of, of sacks of uh, seed here of potential new varieties which uh, which we're testing so the labels are different colors i don't know if that means anything but also they've got words on them like keep junk control what what does that tell us so starting off simply with the, the control we have um, control varieties which we've grown for for many years in across lots of locations so we know how they perform uh, so you can compare our testing and experimental material against the controls um, the keep material we keep which is We've selected, um, which will proceed to the following year. So we've carried out our quality testing in our baking lab and, and, and whatnot there. And then the junk, um, well, we just throw that away. We send that down to the local um, feed merchant. And that helps to uh, pay for some of our uh, summer students. So uh, to get one good variety that's going to sell well, suit the farmers, make you some money, how many loads of junk are we talking about? number of years ago that may would have been many many hundreds of crosses through our selection schemes in the field our trialing network to one variety maybe from approximately a million down to one now we're making fewer crosses but more efficiently using the tools we've spoken about so again the rate we're still throwing out an awful lot of material um, but we're more efficient at it now so we're looking much more efficient maybe one in 200,000. What's in here and what are we looking at now? So this is some of our early generation material which is going through our marker assisted selection pipeline. So we're selecting material based on DNA markers telling us whether we have the gene or not and this allows us very efficiently to stack genes together to uh, match the ideotypes we're, we're aiming for. So these are um, hundreds of trays of seedlings of wheat. Um, and as you can see with the, the little labels there, uh, we trace everything down to each individual plant. Um, and we've selected the, the combinations we're looking for in each cross. Uh, and now we're beginning to predict uh, performance for the more quantitative traits, such as yield, earliness, specific weight, so we're doing this really efficiently earlier on. So before we're putting material into the field to screen, we're combining the genetics that we're looking for. So how long does it take to bring a wheat variety to market if you have to start from scratch? 
So from designing the cross, uh, five years before we're entering into nationalist trials. And then you obviously have the additional three years of those trials to look through. So what can wheat growers look forward to? What, what's coming along that maybe we don't have at the moment? One of the buzzwords at the moment is obviously resilience and another one being consistency. So with these tools, we can combine multiple genes together. So the resistances are not relying on just a single gene, but that may well have been the case a few years ago. Our challenge is the pathogens. You know, they are always gonna win, but we can delay that process a little bit so we can work together with, with chemistry and build varieties that are, are more resilient. Um, so that's on the pathology front, but also with our genomic selection tools um, and our very diverse trial network and environmental monitoring systems, we can start to build varieties that are more resilient over time in multiple different environments. So the weather extremes, I mean, today is, is the hottest day of the year. Um, we need to be able to start to look for the genetic diversity we have available and how that can help provide varieties going forward that can cope with the ever-changing climate. You talked about the pathogens winning. Some growers would say that Septoria won last year. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you're going to manage that situation? What genetics are available and what difference that's going to make? It was an interesting time last year. And obviously the headline being about the cougar resistance. Cougar, as a variety, offered obviously very good yellow rust and particularly Septoria resistance. And at the time, it offered um, a very potent resistance for plant breeders to use. So most plant breeders were using crosses involving cougar. Now we have more options, so more um, septoria resistances we can combine together. So we can combine them, which you can do most efficiently in plant breeding using microassisted selection. And then we can screen the combinations in high um, selection areas, such as, such as Ireland. So we're, we're not just looking at the single gene, we're looking at multiple genes combined together. And so one of the interesting things to, to think about is we can combine the right resistances, but not at such a physiological cost to the plant. And given the current economic climate, um, there's a lot of interest in nitrogen use efficiency in wheat varieties or improving nitrogen use efficiency. Have you got any good news on that? It's something that's been on our radar for, for a number of years. And when we've spoken to farmers such as, such as David, nitrogen use efficiency, particularly this last year or so, has come higher up a priority list. So we have lots of diverse trials and we're using our tools to start to find useful diversity which we can use to provide varieties that are going to be more resilient in the not just climatic changes, but obviously political and economic changes as well. Senior wheat breeder, Phil Tarby. Well, that's it from this special episode of the Farmers Weekly Podcast, brought to you in association with Plant Breeders Limmergrain UK. Don't forget, a new episode of our regular Farmers Weekly Podcast is available every Friday. Do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For now, though, I'm Farmers Weekly Podcast editor Johan Tasker in Suffolk with Farmers Weekly arable correspondent Louise Impey. Thank you for listening.